0: Hey, Tan, uh, thank you for coming in. I mean, you you have uh, such a, a remarkable background in so many different aspects uh, within the community. Uh, you've done a lot of impact work. In fact, I know you from us uh, sitting in the, either the board committees or on the board of ACM, uh, Association of Computing Machinery, which is number one and is the largest computing nonprofit organization in the world. Uh, famous for their uh, Nobel Prize of computing called the Turing Award, and and then uh, we've done other ventures like I think uh, there's some kind of uh, educational engineering pro, uh, group that you were and I, I got invited to your meetings, uh, and uh, um, and uh, you sit on other uh, communities like with the um, International Federation of Information Process or. Oh, sorry, Uh, the internet federation, yeah, Uh, IFIP. uh, You said on the Global Industry Council, you've been doing that since it's uh, very beginning and it's been like uh, 12 years, I guess. So we've had so many different touch points, but in addition to that, you've been the senior executive for many, many years with Infosys and we won't mind all of the different roles you've had because you've done literally everything from HR to research and development, to head of education, to head of applications globally, to heading up uh, the Americas. I mean, it just kind of, the list goes on and on, right? You've done it all, so. Anyways, I really appreciate you coming in. Um, you know, we're, we're we're friends as well, so, uh, you, because you're just a marvelous uh, executive.
1: And thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, first of all, knowing you, and of course, thank you for the opportunity to interact with you on, on this program that you conduct so very well across the globe. Thank you so much.
0: So Tan, I mean, it's been so long since we talked to you. Uh, I talked to you last. I I was in the old school podcast audio days, which was very scripted. This is unscripted. So we've changed a lot. And so I'm going to re-ask one of the early questions that I asked 15 years ago. And uh, I would say, you know, what are the inflection points in your life? But you've done a lot since we last, uh, you you know, uh, I interviewed you. So what are those sort of major turning
1: points that created this wonderful individual and executive that you are today. Stephen, thank you for that question because I've been blessed uh, for the opportunities that I've got throughout my career of uh, over 35 years now. Um, And a lot of that, I think, have come from some of the decisions I made. um, And of course, luck played a role in it as well. So maybe I can talk uh, a few of them. The first was very early in my career, maybe five, six years into my career. I started as a software engineer, building uh, word processors, and then went on to create uh, compilers for SQL and operating system level work. I enjoyed the technical work. It gave me a lot of insights into how computers work, but I got this urge to uh, work with business customers. So at that time, I made the shift into uh, application development when Windows 3.1 came. And that I think was my first inflection point because from there it led to a lot of other things that I did on with technology, whether it was the new client server applications or applications based on the internet when it came out. Uh, So it gave me a tremendous inroad into business. So that was the first one. Um, The second one came Almost a decade later, when you know we were in the US, but as a family, we decided we wanted to go back to India. And you know when most technical people were doing a B2C which was Bangalore to California, here we were trying to do a B2B which is back to Bangalore. And the, uh, that turned out to be a great time because that was when the uh, global delivery model, Was being established, and the center of gravity for that was really India. And so, and of course, I joined Infosys at that time, and that changed a lot in my professional life because all the opportunities I got to work um, on different areas came from being at Infosys because I joined them when there were only 7,000 people. And of course, when I left them a couple of months ago, Uh, There are more than 300,000 people. So I got that ringside view of how scale happens, how growth happens um, in a company that was ethically driven. So that was the second one. And the third was while at Infosys, um, out of a passion for people development, I made this decision to move from business function into a corporate function. And that was to head education because I thought there's a lot to do with people development and that I can bring some things to the table there. And that turned out to be a real inflection point because um, now in that role, I not only got to scale the Infosys education from training about 4,000 people on a single day to over 14,000 on a single day. So that itself was a great experience. But I also got to, to put in place uh, programs for continuous education, which actually led to me getting an honorary doctorate from the Coventry University in the UK. But uh, beyond that, because I had this experience of corporate functions, I got an opportunity to play the role of the group head of HR for Infosys. And more recently, when Infosys had decided in 2017-18 to embark on a strategy called localization, i got picked to run the operations operations of that because of my experience on both being on the business side and on the technology side so the you know all of this i think uh, were things that happened because of uh, perhaps being in the right place at the right time making the right decisions maybe but also because i had the support of my managers at the time and the teams that i was working with so it's a combination of things that led to the um experiences that I got in my professional career,
0: Stephen. So that's really quite a spectrum. Uh, you you really started off as a very detailed uh, kind of like a system programmer, uh, which means that you're you're programming maybe an assembler <laughs> or an C and C, yeah. Yeah. And that requires. I mean, I programmed in those languages as well in my early days. In fact, even before that, I used to have to program in binary code. Um, uh, that's very, very difficult. You really have to understand the hardware, um, interrupts, and registers, and things like that. And then you uh, and uh, and then you migrate it into more more sort of applications programming, and then from there you got. Um, Positions where you got into more of the corporate side and seen sort of the corporate, um, sort of broader applications on the business uh, merging with the technical. So let's let's get into some of those very uh, specific uh, roles. Um, what was the what was the first major sort of business role that you were asked to take on when you joined Infosys?
1: I was uh, what is to be called a delivery manager, which was about service delivery, service delivery for clients. And that involved working with the teams both uh, across geographies, both in India and in the US and clients who were not in India. So that was a phenomenal experience because um, it was not only about winning some deals that we got because of the work I was doing, but also about. Managing program managing something remotely. Today we talk about remote program management, but did that at that time because I was able to win the trust of the clients. So that was the starting point of the business roads. And from there on, I went to head um, service delivery for our telecom business um, and then run the entire uh, application development and maintenance service line, which is the largest service line for Infosys.
0: Yeah, I mean that's uh, again that's fascinating, you know. And and the thing is, when you're running these uh, corporate programs from service delivery to application development, you would understand because you were, you at one time used to code, right? So <laughs> so, so you'd have that sort of the very deep technical understanding as you're now managing more of the business side of and and across uh, the world the client
1: interaction, yeah,
0: yeah, client interaction and um, uh, managing people. Uh, which can be uh, a challenge unto itself, right? And then, as you mentioned earlier, in the inflection points, you you know, India became a, a hub for the world, and the world realized that it was uh, a great center for um, talent and mm-hmm. doing uh, you know deep technical work. And in fact, India continues in that vein, and in fact has even grown bigger. In fact, uh, uh, in that capability, but now. Uh, even innovation itself is it's being centered out of India, and I think India is probably the biggest or the second biggest uh, source now of uh, new minted billionaires. I believe something like that, right? So unicorns,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So, so you're you you got this technical background. You then migrate into the service delivery side, the application side, and and then uh, but you got into other roles um, which were not so much directly on the service application technical, but had more of the sort of the human aspect behind it. So how did you get into education? Like, uh, uh, how did that come about? And and the, it's like a miracle story, in a sense, of emphasis in ed- education. And, and uh, you know, there's really famous stories like the world is flat. And, you know, and and I, and I recall 15 years ago, you mentioned that story about how the, you know, the world is flat concept came from uh, a visit to India. So maybe you could retell that part, but retell now the, how you got into the education side of it.
1: Yeah, so the uh, on the world is flat, I think it came from when Thomas Friedman visited India and met our current uh, non-executive chairman, London Neelakhani, who was walking around the campus and actually showed him the flat screen and said, the world is flat, and then that caught on because that's on the flat screen is where we were able to connect a lot of our development centers and bring them into one room in those days. Um, That's how I think that stuck with Thomas Friedman and he wrote the book. Um, On my move into education, it was really driven by passion for people development because I had worked in both in India and in the US and I recognized that um, in as much as there is so much Content that people in India might have. It was the need to bring together content and communication and the ability to um, articulate, but also to create continuous development for us to be relevant as professionals. So there was an internal job posting that the person who was running the position uh, retired from the company. It was an internal job posting and then applied for the job. Um, and I got lucky to have been selected from uh, a set of people who had applied, um, largely because I had to connect with the business and I also demonstrated my passion what I wanted to do, because even before that, I had done some internal programs for people development, um, just taking out of passion. And so both of those helped me to get there. Uh, but having got there, you know, working with the teams at that time, it, it uh, um, gave me a platform put together programs that led to more and more continuous education partnerships with academia um, that helped and in fact the commentary university thing was about creating a master's degree for people at infosys while they were still working at infosys in india so they could still get a master's degree from the commentary university Um, and that was about giving credit to the work that they were doing projects that they were doing and the learning that they had at infosys so you know those kinds of opportunities came about because I was able to get into that role at a time when um, learning and even now learning is probably the only constant that is there for a professional.
0: I, I remember you sharing some of this uh, maybe ten years ago, and I, I was, or or more than ten years ago, and I was just surprised at the just the size of the education program. So maybe you can give some numbers, like for example, the number of square feet of your education facility, the number of colleges that you're partnering with. You already mentioned earlier in your introduction on your inflection points, uh, how you went from X students to X number of students in one day. And, and I think, I, I mean, the numbers are just, out, just amazing. <laughs>
1: Yeah. No, I think it's a reflection of how InfoSys has always believed in competence development as a core differentiator and the investment uh, you know, the company has made in learning. And so, for example, because of the number of campus recruits that InfoSys is doing at that time, um, we trained fifteen to 20,000 people a year. And the training put in place because it happened over uh, 1.4 million square feet of education space. We could train 1,400 people on a single day, uh, 14,000 people on a single day, uh, which was scaling up from about 4,500 that we were able to do before. Because that campus is the, uh, this is in Mysore in India, and that's the world's largest residential corporate university. Because these 14,000 people not only can't get trained on a single day uh, for a 20, 26 week period, but they cannot stay in the campus in uh, very high class facilities, which is a reflection again of the the investment that the company has made on education.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's just uh, remarkable, those numbers and the number of millions of square feet. and you had partnerships with what? How many colleges within? India? So, in India,
1: when we did this uh, hiring, uh, we had it with more than 100, 150 institutions uh, from where people came. Because the, the differentiation, differentiation here is that these people recruited were all employees of Infosys who were getting trained. So, these are now employees, but they get to sit, and sit in a classroom of that um, standard. Get educated while they're getting paid. Yeah. And So these are from all of these institutions that they were getting hired from.
0: Yeah, and and, and what it does too is uh, you get a guarantee uh, with an emphasis of the talent that you have that they're at a certain level, right? Because they graduate from the the different colleges, but you're not really sure where they are, and then you uh, you ingest them. A level set, right? A so that science
1: mm-hmm. can be confident of the work that the people do for that. That's the idea. In fact, it's the same aspects that I brought back here into the US when we started on the localization journey for us to be able to then recruit from campuses here and do training here so that they are ready for work for the clients. The same uh, philosophy of hiring, making them employees and then training them um, so that we can build a workforce. But what it also did was help us create net new talent. And and in fact, in the localization journey, we went beyond what we were doing in India in terms of beginning to hire for skills than degrees, create an apprenticeship program. Uh, We probably ran among the largest tech apprenticeship programs here because we recruited people uh, who were either wanting to move into uh, digital technologies, people who had a high school degree, but went through a program that could help them make the transition uh, from where they were to a higher career mobility, which made a difference to them, their families, and the communities that they were coming from. But it's the same philosophy of creating that new talent through education.
0: Yeah, and just to explain to the audience is, is that we sort of did a leap of like 20 years. <laughs> so. So you you built this, uh, and we're working with the scaling this, uh, the largest education program really in the world, uh, with emphasis and you know all of these uh, different institutions you worked with, and then you could level set graduates that came out of those different programs because you had your own training program, and and uh, but then many years later, you were then asked to take on localization and so forth and heading out those kind of programs and in the Americas, right? Yeah. And that's what you're talking about now. So, how many how many schools did you sort of interact with, and how many uh, students did you interact with? And then, as you mentioned, you were looking at reskilling. You're also not requiring a degree as long as somebody had a, a good technical interest and were maybe had some training in some aspect. But then you could you could level set here as well, right? Can you get into more detail what that looked like? Let, let's say I'm a high school graduate, but I always tinkered and maybe I've taken a few college courses in Python or something like that. And maybe I, I had some certification and I get on your radar screen, right? Uh, somebody who has talent, but has never gone through that formal process, you know, that uh, sort of traditional four-year degree and a master's and so on. How would I get recruited what what would i do uh, in you know let's say i lived somewhere in the midwest or whatever to get you know a uh, level set to the requirements that you need so that i i can be employable with an infosys
1: great so um of course i should uh, and you know this that i'm no longer with infosys right so i retired from infosys two months uh, ago but um but the the premise of all of that is still is still valid which is that first you know, to your question, how do you get recruited? Um, these were by applying directly to our, uh, through our websites. People got recruited for the roles or when, you know, our teams went into campuses and communities, community colleges or apprentice programs to recruit from. We also had partners with whom we worked to bring in the apprentices. But once they joined, so you know, in this case, somebody who had this high school degree and had some of these what we call as learnability, right? So the desire to make a difference to learn, um, the basically the ability to pick generic learnings from specific instances and applying them into new programs, That's really what learnability was about. And when somebody got picked, then in the apprentice model, they got trained. uh, So they had a pre-apprenticeship that the partner provided to them. And then they became an employee And for the next 12 months, they had a mentor who would guide them. They had a coach who would review what they were doing every so often so that the competencies that they built from work could be tracked. And they also had courses and interventions that they got so that in the 12-month period, they got enough credits that they could even choose to transfer to a four-year degree school or two-year school if they wanted to. Right. So the idea was you're earning, you're learning, and if you want to you know, also convert them into credits that you can take to uh, four-year school or two-year school, uh, and then so they got a job. So for example, we had this um, you know, a driver uh, in uh, Amazon who joined this program and became a digital associate. Which made a phenomenal difference to him and his family, and how upward mobility was created.
0: And then, how many how many schools did you partnership uh, partner with uh, when you were in that role?
1: So it was no so no longer from schools, right? So this is people who wanted to join the apprentice model, right. uh, depending on where they were and what they wanted to do. Um, you know, for example, in 2017 or 18, we. We made this public announcement that we wanted to hire 10,000 people overall in the U.S. We actually ended up hiring 25,000 people, and almost 10 percent of them came from um, at the entry level.
0: Yeah, that's it's quite remarkable, and I guess it, we'll leave this topic uh, shortly. I, I, it's just so curious though, right? Because th- there's always this traditional model, and and then it. it it's, you know, there's this impression that you you can't get breakthrough unless you follow this traditional two to four year to master's or something like that. And yet, um, there's so many different people out there who are working in technology who who don't have those kind of backgrounds and yet become very successful. In fact, some of the most successful entrepreneurs, like Bill Gates, uh, he's known to not have finished or uh, Mark Zuckerberg didn't finish. They're just, you know, and I remember Google a number of years ago did an analysis and they and they found that after so, a certain number of years, they couldn't tell a difference, I don't think. I mean, I encourage the audience to take a look. I meant just going from memory here, but if you had somebody who had some aptitude and then you did your own training and then you had somebody graduate from a, a you know, what is considered a tier one university, research university, like a Stanford or something. Uh, and then you maybe had somebody from a lesser known university at the end, uh, after a number of years, you just couldn't really tell, right? Um, and they and they did some analysis and that's why I think uh, Google and some of these other companies started opening up. You know, look, Why don't we open up the bucket so that it's not just somebody who has a degree. Have you done, did, while you were at Emphasis, where, did you do some of that analysis as well or? or,
1: or no, no, not really. We didn't do the analysis, but we certainly found that these people that we recruited uh, who had that learnability were able to perform as well uh, as they got the training. And it, it, it was clearly a question of do you want to do it? Do you have the hunger? Are you willing to learn? And are you learning? And are you willing to apply that? Right. So people who had that capability could, could clearly uh, demonstrate the value that they could bring and therefore add value to themselves because then that created their upward mobility for them.
0: Yeah, so that's uh, fascinating. So let's just spend a few more minutes about um, uh, other roles that you've had uh, within Infosys and then even outside of that, because you did so much impact work with uh, other organizations, right? Um, for example, you added you up heading up HR. So let's talk a, just a little bit about that. And then you you were heading up with education R&D. What did, what did that mean? And uh, we already talked about your localization efforts and what you're trying to do in the Americas at the at the last part of uh, your time with emphasis. So, um, so let's let's catch up on these other points: the uh, education and the R and D component, what that looked like, what HR looked like, and and then anything else. And then we'll move on from emphasis and go into some of the other aspects of what you
1: do. Yeah. So the um... When I joined the education unit, it used to be called education and research. So that is where they were combined. Uh, And there it was more about, um, first there was an aspect of knowledge management, right? So how do you bring the knowledge of a professional services firm to your clients while making sure that the IP of clients is protected, right? So that was a big piece of how all of that came together um, in in the education research group. Um, On the HR front, it was about putting in place some programs uh, that brought in predictability, people helping making um, measurements for KPIs much more objective um, so that people knew where they were going and what they need to do to get beyond. And also uh, aspects that related to compliance a large part of it was compliance and um, and, and leadership transition, because when I was in HRs, when there was a transition of CEO. So all of those became a portfolio of work that I got to do, especially working with the board on some of these critical aspects.
0: And I guess I should add, you became the chairman of the board for emphasis Public Services and the trustee of the board at the Infosys Foundation USA. I'm familiar with the Emphasis Foundation because I've been um, donating or, you know, volunteering with ACM for so long. And of course, um, I believe the Emphasis Foundation supports the ACM Computing Prize, right, which is the second highest award um, other than the Turing Award. So can you talk a little bit about that, uh, Chairman of the Board of the Emphasis Public Services, what that means, and then that's Emphasis uh, Foundation?
1: So, Infosys Public Services was more recent. Um, the, uh, my involvement with them, though I've been involved in different capacities, but on the board. Uh, and Infosys Public Services works with federal and government clients, which is different from the commercial clients that Infosys uh, overall works with. So, that's why it's a separate entity. Um, on the Infosys Foundation in the US, it was about brid- bridging the digital gap through. Um, basically two, two streams. One is working with the schools and enabling teachers on computer science education through maker education so that they can be bring computer education into the schools. And then, of course, through a platform called Springboard, help bridge the digital gap for anybody to access the te- through technology the learning that they want to uh, help get a job in the digital world. So that's what the Infosys Foundation USA uh, was doing and that, that the one that I was trusting of.
0: Yeah, and I think the Infosys Foundation, if I'm not mistaken, and so you supported the ACM and one of their prizes, but you also supported the Computer Science Teachers Association, I believe as well, right?
1: Yeah, so the Infosys Foundation USA did the CTA, the uh, Computer Teachers Association. The overall, the ACM part I think comes from corporate uh, Foundation and, uh, and and the Infosys Science Foundation, they are the ones that do the ACM part.
0: Yeah, just a remarkable uh, series of contributions. Um, on your own though, you you've been interested in things like diversity, equity, inclusion. You did that as part of of Infosys, and you're a member of the grievance at, at, uh, uh, board as well, uh, related to different issues that you're handling. Um, Let's see here. Uh, you, you were uh, involved with NASCOM. In fact, I remember I got an invite to speak uh, from NASCOM, and this must have been like 25 years ago. And I was thinking, who's NASCOM? And and in fact, I ended up not doing it because I just didn't know the organization. Uh, but this was, you know, uh, I think it was in the 1990s or something like that. But but that's that's a that's a really uh, quite a famous organization in India and quite. Prominent, right? Well, yeah,
1: they're, they're phenomenal in what they have done for the country. Um, because NASCOM, which stands for the National Association for Software and Service Companies in India, um, has been the catalyst for many things that the IT services industry has been able to do, and and therefore uh, a big big name and a big platform. And of course, the opportunity I got at that time was to be part of the Education Council to defend competencies for IT. But this was, again, 10, 15 years ago, but that was something I got an opportunity to do for RASCOM. Uh, Also been part of the UN work group on uh, creating metrics for corporates to look at the UN Sustainable Development Goals and how they can measure their impact on SDGs. Because that, I think, is another great blueprint for companies to look at to say, how do we make sure that the money we spend can make an impact to the world in places where it needs. And the SDGs I think gives that um, blueprint for companies to look at.
0: Yeah, I mean, the experiences then on the impact side, like as you mentioned with the National Association of Software and Services in India, I mean, it's, it's, it's considered the, Uh, organization out of India. And you're a member of the Education Council. Uh, You led a working group defining competencies for IT professionals. You talked about uh, the UN itself and uh, working with that working group uh, in terms of uh, defining industry uh, metrics for corporates, right? For sustainable development goals. Uh, And you've been a champion for digital skills and for your entire career. Uh, there's also the International Federation of Engineering uh, Education Societies, and I, I believe there was a meeting that you were at that I was asked to attend as well. And I think it was that one, but that must have been quite a few years ago. Uh, can you talk about the work you did <laughs> with this international? Fitness? Yeah, so
1: that was about you know, how. I mean, there it was more about. Uh, you now I came from the perspective that uh, educators need to be recognized. And therefore I was instrumental in creating what we call as the IFES Awards. And I put together a framework for uh, recognizing uh, educators as part of the International Federation of Engineering Education Societies, because that's a global organization with educators from across the globe. So that was my contribution to that.
0: Yeah, and then of course you're, uh... I don't know if you're continuing with this, but you're on the advisory board of the University of Texas, uh, Dallas. Yes, I do.
1: So so I work with them on their uh, corporate business program. Uh, There again, it is about sustainability uh, because the two areas of passion for me are sustainability and workforce transformation. So I get involved in one or both of these at various points in time.
0: Yeah, and uh, and so that's uh, quite remarkable. And of course, I, I mentioned earlier at the very beginning I've known you, excuse me, through the ACM Board Professional Development Committee since what, 2009 when uh, we had one of our first meetings and uh, ACM is a really famous organization. And and then I also mentioned at the very beginning our introduction that uh, uh, you're you're part of this uh, IFIP uh, organization, the Global Industry Council, since its original founding and continue to serve in that role. Uh, the International Federation for Information Processing, which is IFIP, and then affiliated with that is the International Professional Practice Partnership. Uh, I should mention, by the way, that um, the GIC is is on its own under IFIP. So the bylaws were changed within this organization so that we are a body that, or the Global Institute Council is a separate body. And just as IP3 or this International Professional Practice Partnership is a separate body, underneath IFIT directly, right? The bylaws were changed to recognize that. So, wow, (laughs) that's a lot. And you got this uh, degree, right? Honorary degree in technology uh, from Coventry University because of
1: your work. The competence development piece.
0: Yeah, it's just remarkable. Okay, so we only have a few minutes left and that's just kind of catching up. (laughs) Uh, What do you wanna do now? And, and what what are your goals and the things that you hope to do in the next, uh, let's say by 2025, and let's say maybe a broader uh, time frame of 2030? And I guess in all of that, are you ever gonna retire or are you just gonna keep being engaged in different uh, activities?
1: So I think the, like I said, to me, two areas of passion where I think we can make a difference is in workforce uh, transformation and sustainable development. And that's, those are the two areas and, and some of the work I'm already doing in those and I see a great opportunity um, for us to be able to you know really enable peace and equity through technology and education. And that's really the framework that I've created for myself to see what can we do and how do we get there? Because those are my areas of familiarity of technology and education, the areas where I think we need to make a difference are in peace and equity. So that's what I want to bring together um, in the work that uh, I'm engaging with and work I'm doing. Um, the, um, I think given where we are today with so much happening in technology and changes in the pace at which it's changing, it is important to look at reskilling in a big way. Uh, and that is a great opportunity that exists both commercially and in the nonprofit sector both sides, um, because the risk of not doing is going to be quite devastating, I think, uh, if you don't act now. And therefore, I see that as an exciting opportunity today.
0: Yeah, and, and just in just my reflection of your background, it's just so tremendous, so broad, very interdisciplinary, or some people will say transdisciplinary, there's a different multidisciplinary across so many different sectors, your background encompasses everything, right? Research and development to HR, to deep technical, to uh, applications, uh, uh, working with um, scientific bodies, working with engineering bodies, working <laughs> uh, working with UN bodies on uh, talent development. But really you could do anything because your background is just so broad and deep, which is really, really unusual. And you're highly respected, so you'd be a, a great candidate for a board role in, in, in a public company or a private company or a startup or in a nonprofit or within uh, science organizations, which you already are, or within the UN. I mean, there, I can't see any area where you would make a, you would be just an amazing board member uh, um, because of the perspective uh, that you bring. And I know from experience, just working with you, since uh january 2009 you execute like uh you, you give very considered well thought consideration you you always contribute and then you execute on things on actions and you've never not executed and that's so rare uh there's this idea of McKinsey s framework where you're know, you getting bunch of 20 people and maybe two will contribute or or two percent hour what is that 20 percent, roughly not quite 20 percent. so So if you got 20, maybe four would be very active. Well, you got to make up for that. You're you're like, you're one of the most most active contributors I've ever met, but with humbleness and inclusion and equity and so on. So I'm saying this because I I think uh, anybody would be so fortunate to engage with you in any manner. Uh, And my experience with you has been just so positive. Um, So with that, uh, and we have been very, kind of, very kind,
1: Stephen. You're very, very kind with your words. You've been very kind to me, so thank you so much. So i i've tie for
0: one last question and then we'll close the interview. And that is, uh, what uh, final recommendation would you like to give to the audience? And by the way, I've been tracking my audience and, and there's a lot of CEOs and board members and things like that. And then I get the science engineering ones as well. So it tends to be that and then some students. But over the years, it tends to skew very uh, senior. So, anyways, what what advice would you like to give to my audience?
1: Well, I think I would say two things. One is to continuously learn and therefore to stay relevant. And that I think has to happen till the last breath. And therefore, that's one part. But I also would say that, uh, especially for your leadership audience, while everybody needs to focus on the traditional PL of profit and loss, I think now is the time to look at what. Alan Chetrit of uh, the Knowledge Impact Network said, the other PNN, which is about purpose and legacy. I think to do that, I think we can make the world a better place. So.
0: Well, those are really great words of advice and, and definitely gets into purposeful leadership and purposeful innovation and business and capital. And for the benefit of humanity, all life, so not just humans, no, all life, and of course benefit to earth ecosystems, Tan, it's, it's, it's been such a pleasure and we'll continue to to work together. You are amazing. You're outstanding. Uh, I definitely would recommend anybody to to work with you. Uh, I treasure the experience I've had with you and we will continue to have uh, as I continue to, uh, you know, uh, work globally. Anyways, uh, thank you for coming in and sharing your experiences with our audience.
1: Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your kindness look forward to continue to work with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You, videocast and podcast. A platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for The Brand Called You.